This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 29. And the quote of the day is from Andrew Carnegie, who said, As I grow older, I pay less attention to what men say. I just watch what they do. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And firstly, I want to say to everybody, if you haven't already, head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast, and it'll be a lot easier for you to to uh, get the podcast. It'll be downloaded right to your phone. Also, if you head to the website, drummersresource.com, you can sign up on our mailing list, and you can get the podcast before anybody else gets them. I'll, uh, I'll send you out an email with the podcast before they're released to the public. So that's a cool feature. And there's also some tips and tricks and different things that I send out as well. So today we got a great show. We got Matt Griner from August Burns Red. And I actually just reached out through, uh, through Twitter on, on uh, I guess it was like a couple of weeks ago, to Matt and was like, hey, man, you know, would love to have you on the show. And then we emailed back and forth about 150 times and rescheduled about four times because of his schedule and my schedule. But we finally got it together. And I'm glad that we did because this is a great interview, very inspirational and very, um, very informative as to how Matt got where he's at. And he's just a humble dude, which is which is even cooler um, when you meet somebody at that level to be as cool as he is. It's it's a refreshing feeling. So definitely glad we hooked this up and we're going to get right into the interview. So without further ado, Matt Greiner. Matt, what's happening, man? Thanks so much for for doing this. I really appreciate you doing this and having you on the show, man. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be a part of it. We finally we finally got it together. It took us a little while there with our schedules, but <laughs> yeah, being on tour, um, it's a little, it's it's you know sort of difficult to make it to make schedules happen. And it's not exactly the most conducive thing to make an, a long distance interview work out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. here we are. So where? How long are you guys on tour right now? We've been out for almost a month, actually. Um, we are on a U.S. tour. We did two days in Canada, and um, we have three shows left. So we're in Chico, California. Um, we play Reno tomorrow, and then we end in Phoenix and fly home on nice. Palm Sunday, actually. Oh, there you go. So what uh, what size venues you guys play? Um, they vary in size, but typically they're between 1,000 and... 3,000, I would say. Some of the venues are a little bigger, and they close the curtains to make them uh, more accommodating for the tour. Right. So in other words, they make them smaller. Sure. But um, a lot of the shows have sold out. It's it's definitely a big tour just with having five bands. Um, the first band is Born of Osiris, mm-hmm. and then Crown the Empire, and then We Came as Romans. And then we play, and then right after us is Asking Alexandria. So it's a five-band bill. All bands are pretty established as it is, and... Um, and so so all put together it's it's definitely pretty successful that's awesome good for you yeah. man. so i mentioned before that I, I always like to get the backstory on how people got into got into playing so what's your story because there's not a ton of stuff going on where uh where you're from so <sighs> i know i know that uh just from being in that area a lot so uh so so how did you get into playing yeah well there there's a lot of farming going on <laughs> And yeah. and cars at the Manham Auto Auction. But just so everybody knows that 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 Matt and I are, are 
relatively from the same the same area, so I wasn't like bashing where he's from because I'm kind of from the same area. So. <laughs> it's self-deprecating humor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is definitely not a lot of heavy metal. Um, th- uh, uh, you know, gender. It, there, there's a lot of music in the area where I'm from. Okay, so there's a lot of churches and and. Um, there's definitely a lot of music. There's not an absence of that, but the, the specific genre that I play with August Burns Red, um, we, we are definitely sort of out of place or we were when we started. Mm -hmm. Um, there were bands and we were influenced by them, but, um, we never expected to be touring the world either. So when people look and pinpoint Mannheim, they say, how did it ever start there? Well, there were bands before us doing the same thing. They just didn't have... Uh, the same type of recognition that we've experienced. Um, I, I grew up going to a very small church, about a hundred people. And I have eight or or, I'm sorry, I have seven siblings. And so we were all fairly musical and, but I always, uh, gravitated towards playing drums Mm -hmm. and being in this small church, we needed as many people as possible in the worship team to be able to, you know, play songs and make a Sunday morning happen. So, I nominated myself to play drums on a, a uh, pretty pretty old Pearl Export uh, series kit, and um, I was terrible. But I but I but but <laughs> I guess all? so was everyone else. So <laughs> it's so it worked. Um, <clears throat> and then um, I eventually met up with JB and Brent, who are also from Mannheim. Um, I was homeschooled, so I was sort of out of the social circle, and somehow somehow befriended some, some guys, uh, from the local high school. And eventually we, we started, we sat down and we played a few songs. I remember actually the one day we played, um, a, a few other people's songs, you know, we sat down and say, Oh man, I love that song by say Ludacris, right. who, who's now Norma Jean. Um, and we, and we tried to play it together and, um, Okay, so we can all somewhat play our instruments, and then we would meet up again, and we had so much fun with it that we set up a show. And um, it wasn't until I started writing my own material on drums that I really started to progress, I think, because I, 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 think, that, I think that my strength is being creative. And so I, so I can imagine these beats, and I can hear them in my head, but I, but I wasn't able to play them. And so I'd have to sit down. I'd force myself to sit down and actually try to play it and slow it down and then speed the parts up, you know, and, and, and I'd work at it pretty hard because I like the challenge of trying to play things that I can't play. And because I had all these ideas floating in my head, it, it was easy to be challenged by them. Sure. So what what's your practice routine normally like or what was it like? Because I know it's it's so tough to practice on the road, but... Um, but even years ago, what was your, what was your technique that you use for practicing? Cause I know everybody, you know, everybody's different and every, you know, like Jojo Mayer's like, I don't know. I haven't practiced in 10 years, you know? And he's like, but I never had a regimented practice schedule, you know? So it's always interesting to me to hear how people approach practicing because everybody does it differently. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I guess this might be helpful. I, as far as I can see in my own life, when I set out to do something, um, and set up a schedule or a routine, it actually forces me away from doing it at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I don't think about it and I'm just passionate about it, then 
I'll just do it on my own time. So in other words, with say, say working out at the gym, okay, staying in shape. If I set up this routine for myself, I'm flying home Sunday, okay? So, I, so say I were to set up a routine and say Monday through Friday, I'm going to the gym two hours a day. That looks good on paper. I mean, the idea seems right. And you could say after four weeks of that, I can be this much stronger and this much heavier. But I've, I've found in my own life that when I do that, it actually discourages me and, and sort of overwhelms me out of actually working out at all. Right. And the same thing is true with drumming. I used to landscape um, every summer. So I'd work like 40, 50 hour weeks in the sun. I love that job. And all day I would be playing beats on the the steering wheel of the mower or just, I, I don't know, humming, you know, rhythms or whatever in my head. And then as soon as I got home, I'd eat dinner. I usually wouldn't even shower and I'd go out to the practice space on, on, on my dad's farm and sit down and just play. And before I knew it, it was dark and 8 p.m. I was sweaty and I felt great. You know, I, right. I, I was just accomplishing things in my plan. And it was, I think that it's important to note in my own career, at least that, uh, the regularity of playing is more important than setting up a regiment for playing. Because if you can just, if, if you can just spend a little bit of time per day on a kit versus spending a whole lot of time, one or two days a week on a kit, you're going to see a lot more progress. Um, and, and you're going to, and at the end of the day, you're going to have more fun with it. And mm -hmm. that's, that's always been my focus, still being able to enjoy it and, and not treat it too much like a job, even though at this point it is one. Right. So one of the, uh, one of the people on Facebook, Sean asked, um, what things, what things you're practicing to challenge yourself? Do you, do you work on different jazz stuff? Do you work on Latin stuff? Uh, that was that was a question from Sean. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, um, that's a good question. A, a couple of years ago, actually, there was a switch in my in what I was focused on in my playing. So here's what I mean. In the beginning, I was very focused on double bass and playing fast, and um, I guess using both of my feet and both of my hands at mm -hmm. like at all times and staying pretty busy. And a couple of years ago, I, I found out about um, what was new to me, a different style of playing, which is, which was more exciting to me, I guess, just because I had been spending so much time with metal drumming. And um, the, the gentleman who introduced it to me was Aaron Spears. Mm -hmm. um, he plays for Usher. And mm -hmm. I started watching, I just saw a video of his on YouTube, and, it, and I'd never heard playing like his where there was... It didn't sound like what it didn't sound like my plane. It didn't it didn't sound like anything I'd ever played, but it sounded so smooth and creative and where where he would place his fills and where he'd place his accents and just everything about it sounded different. And and it sounded great and I I thought, well, I have to figure this out. And um so so I would just I don't know, I took off my slave pedal keep keep time with my hot or, or my hi-hat you know quarter notes and eighth notes and then try to um play 16th notes between my my right hand left and foot and in different patterns and syncopations and anyway i i i guess ultimately it started with just taking off my slave pedal and playing mm -hmm. with a single kick and then it translated into just more um applying more rudiments um, to my plane instead of everything being single strokes and using both feet and both hands at all times. Right. Um, so what I've been practicing recently, I, I got a, a, a DW, um, 
practice pad set, the five piece. Mm-hmm. And um, I teach on tour. And so I've been teaching on that. And it's I've always liked to be able to play on different uh, surfaces because it teaches your muscle memory stuff. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm going through um, just pretty simple, like uh, one hand stroke and then one foot stroke and then two hand strokes and one foot stroke, three hand strokes and one foot stroke and just going up through and um, experimenting with that on different pads, on different sounds. Hmm. Um, so it's so it's 16th notes is how it sounds, 1E into 2E into 3E into 4E into, but you are putting a single kick hit on different parts of the 16th note pattern. Sure. And uh, and then at the same time, keeping time on your left foot, 8th notes and and uh, and quarter notes, which of course is, is a lot of independence. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that that's what I've been working on, I guess, for a couple of weeks now. And, um, you know, playing with the AVR, I'm always working on just the songs I have to play anyway, because right. the stuff I write in the studio or at home, I'm, it seems like I'm always challenged by anyway, even years afterwards. So mm-hmm. I'm always I'm always forced to play better just because I have to play a show that night. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so are you primarily self-taught or did you take lessons? Um, I'm from, I'm primarily self-taught actually. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, you talk to so many different drummers and they're like, I would never be where I am without my teacher. And a lot of, you know, and then there's other people that are like, I've never had a teacher, you know? (laughs) And it's just amazing to me the the way that people learn, uh, you know, how to, how to play and, and just different, the different journey that, that a person goes on as a drummer to get to where they're at, which is, uh, which is always interesting to me. So. Yeah, I I took four I took four or five lessons from a guy in Lancaster named Clyde Lucas. He he's passed on now, but he played he played um, with Ray Charles and Miles Davis, mm-hmm. and he was he was a great jazz drummer. And I'm not a jazz drummer, and so when I took lessons with him, um, he didn't really he I never I okay so as so so as a result of taking lessons um, with him, it's not that I've excelled at jazz or anything like that, but he. He he stretched my my imagination and um, kind of pushed me in a different direction just with four lessons and slowed everything down and said this is where you're really weak and um, pointed things out in my plane and um, so I, I would definitely have to attribute you know a lot of how I teach actually to those four lessons because he was such a great teacher. Right. Well, that makes but sense. I, I think a lot of my, I think just most of my playing just came from the hours of practice that I put in trying to play parts that I simply couldn't play. Mm-hmm. And I always like the, the idea or the quote, you know, if you don't, if you sound good while you're practicing, then you're not actually challenging yourself and you're not getting better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that seem that's definitely true. <laughs> and I know that, you know, a lot of times uh, students of mine or just anybody, you know, that I'll see practicing or I'll hear practicing, and they they're working on this groove that sounds great, you know. And I'm like, well, what are you what are you doing? And and I get it, like going in and playing and practicing and and sounding good while you're while you're playing because you dig that groove or whatever. But if you're gonna go and play the same groove for an hour and it already sounds great, then what are you really doing? You know, <laughs> like you're not you're not challenging yourself that much. Yeah, so. yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know that I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Um, there's I know that there's a lot of younger kids out there and older, you know, older players that are out there that want to do what you do 
and they want to be touring in a band or they want to, you know, they want to have a signature stick with Vic or something like that. What's some advice that you can give to somebody that's coming up or trying to get to where you're at? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think I, well, I think the first thing that came to my mind when you asked that was, um, to work really hard and to always give more than you get. And here's what I mean. I, so, so there's two things, work really hard and to always give more than you get. Um, if you work hard, then, then it'll translate in every area of your life. So not just your drumming, but in, in, in how you represent the companies you play for and in how, um, so for example, we toured for years and years in a van and trailer and we toured a lot. Uh, I was actually just talking to JB and he keeps track of how many shows we've played per year. We're about to hit 1400 shows, um, tomorrow night. So, so tonight's 1399 since the very first show we've ever played. That's a lot of shows. And, and, and obviously we wouldn't have been able to play that many shows had it not been for a lot of other factors outside of our control, like being signed and all these things. But, but bottom line is we, we did work really hard because we loved it and we, we toured in a van for nine months out of a year, you know, for a couple of years in a row. And, um, I think it was that, that type of persistence and work ethic that started in a VFW hall in 2003 and four, you know, um, in the practice space, practicing for the show. And then also the shows every weekend and then the tours and, and just really sticking with it, you know, and mm-hmm. the persistence behind it. That's what companies that endorse you want to see because, it's a business relationship, and in order for it to be a good one, you need to be benefiting them just like they're benefiting you. And if they're giving you product, then they want to know that you're representing the product well, not just because you're a good drummer, but because you work hard and you're on the road playing in front of people, mm-hmm. you know, representing um, the product that they give you, and also just being a good steward of it and not and talking and talking in a good way about the company and, and, um, you know, talking about it at all with anyone, um, is important. So uh, nine years ago or so I signed to Vic Firth and in the beginning I paid for my six, just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, developed a friendship with the people there just working together for so long. And they, there are a couple guys there that vouch for me that never would have had to vouch for me in a meeting because, I don't have a huge name or anything in drumming, but they brought me up and they said, uh, Vic, here's a guy you've never heard of in a band you've never heard of probably. And we think that he would do good for the company because of, of these factors. And then they go down through the list and, and Vic says, okay, if you're willing to take a chance for this guy, then so am I. So let's do it. And, and so there it is. Okay. The meeting's adjourned and, and now we go through R and D with it and, a year later, here we are. And so you look at it and say, man, that's so great. You have a signature stick. How did that happen? Well, you actually have to go back nine years to even see the beginning of it and right. how the relationship was formed. Um, so to, to get to the place in a band where you're on the road and you're touring, it, there there is um, no single way to do it and there's no recipe to make it happen overnight. It's, it's a long journey. And at the end of the day, you do it because you love it. And if that's your reason for it, then... If it lasts a year, then you then at least you did it for a year. If it lasts for five, then that's even better. Um, but hard work and and 
you know, hard work really does pay off. That's, that's a big factor. And then giving more than you get, you know, you're constantly giving back to the people supporting you and giving back to the sponsors that are giving you product. I think there's a Zig Ziglar quote that says, you'll get everything you want out of life if you help everyone else get what they want out of life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's and good. I, and I totally agree with you that giving, you know, giving more than, than you get and, uh, and the thing that, that when I, I've talked about this numerous times on the podcast, too, about the, the networking and the relationship building. And I think that sometimes people view that as a negative thing and they think that networking and relationship building is like a sleazy thing. And it's it's not if it's genuine and it's mutually beneficial. And, you know, you're working with this company, you know, you're working with Vic because you love playing Vic sticks and they, you know, they love having you on the roster it's not like a hey what can you do for me kind of thing you know and i think that right as yeah. long as you're approaching a it great in a, point as long as you're approaching it in a in a genuine way and not in like a sleazy way then that's what you should be doing you should be building relationships Mm-hmm. yeah that's well put so what the the stick that you have um your signature stick what's give us the the rundown on it okay well um <laughs> when they asked me to shoot a video and talk about it, it, it it was not easy for me because it's just a drumstick, you know, much like many other drumsticks. Right. And I said, I'm I'm not going to be a good salesman for this because I I can play I can play a three A just like I can play a five B and still you know still play pretty much the same way. There are little nuances, I guess, mm-hmm. that make them different. But I don't know I. I know about the size that I like. It's around the 3A, a little bit thicker, point, point, you know, 0.585. And I know maybe I want it a little bit longer than a 3A because I have I've shorter arms, so I can, I can reach symbols a little further away, and my plane's a little more ergonomical that way. And, and so they said, okay, great. That's, that's what we need, actually. See, you're doing fine. <laughs> so um, we, we, we spent a couple months... Um, you know, designing while well, mainly working with the weight of the stick because making it a little bit longer, uh, we put a little bit more weight in the front and I wanted a little bit more in the back. And so, um, we worked with the taper of the stick and went through like, we only went through like two prototypes. Actually, they sent me one with a finish on it. And then months later they came back and said, we think we want to do no finish. Um, which is it, it's sort of something I've been wanting to do for years, and they weren't on board with at first. And so we were set on the idea of a finish on the stick, like all their other sticks. They don't mm-hmm. do a like a naked stick. And uh, a couple of years ago, I had mentioned that I think it'd be great to you know try it out. And they said no. And so we even went into this SIG stick thinking no. Well, then not long before we finished up the product, they said, we think we want to try finish free like tumble dry right and so i said well i'm I'm not even sure i'm into that idea anymore i kind of like where these sticks are at right now (laughs) and so they sent me a a brick and i tried them out and um i like them a lot more actually because when i get sweaty playing the 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 stick adheres to your hand uh more than a stick with finish on it and we sometimes we play sets that are like 70 minutes long Mm -hmm. So it's like the less grip you have to apply to the stick, the better, because you're already doing a whole lot. Sure. 
um, as it stands. So um, I'd say the biggest defining feature of it is that it is uh, finish free, you know, lacquer free and tumble dry. Um, it's a pretty smooth stick. It doesn't feel coarse or anything. It just it's a little more open so that when you get sweaty, it, it adheres to your hand, fills up the pores. Um, it is a little bit longer than the stick I was and, um, the tip, the tip's a little bit different. It, it, it's got great stick definition on like closed hi hats or a ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I've been playing it for a couple months. It's pretty, pretty, uh, durable stick design all around for what I do. Nice. Um, now granted I, I play metal, so I don't do a whole lot of other styles of playing. Um, I have given it to a few buddies who play in church and they, they seem to think it's a good stick for that. It's not too heavy. And, um, a few guys that, um, you know, playing a few different genres of music, uh, they also enjoy it. So, and it's not that, it's not that thick of a stick though. I'm looking at it here. It's a 0.585. It's a 0.585. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I think the three A is a 0.580. Um, so it's okay. That's, that's not that's that's something you wouldn't even you know notice right. probably right. um that's t- the uh tip is a little bit different as you can tell it's it's a little more pointed than than like a teardrop mm-hmm. uh would be which is what i was playing before um and as you can see it's it's a little bit longer than like the typical 16 and a quarter which i was playing for a long time yeah, this is sixteen and seven sixteenth. I, you know what? I might, I might have to check these out. I'm not a, I don't play metal, but I, <laughs> I do have short arms, so I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a small guy, so I'm always. You know, like, the video guy laughed when I said that because it's, <laughs> you know, you can talk a lot about, I mean, you can say a lot of things about a drumstick that don't really matter, but right. but when you say that, it's okay, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's because you know, for me, I'm like, I'm like five seven if the humidity's right. You know what I mean? So like. <laughs> I can, I got short arms. It's hard for me to read. And like every, I don't know how, you know, the way that your setup is, but I know for me, everything's like really compact because one, I don't want to work too hard playing, but, <laughs> but just like, you know, I can't reach everything. I can't have yeah. like all these symbols. Everybody's like, Oh, you set your drums up so low. I'm like, well, I'm sure. What do you want me to, <laughs> I got to be able to hit the, I got to be able to hit them, you know? Yeah. So, so basically the conclusion we have come to here, and I hope Vic Frith listens to this one day because the conclusion is if if and only if you have short arms then this stick is for you right i'm coming out I'm, i want a signature stick that's like 19 inches and i can like uh, it's like sitting in the back seat of the car and you're like playing you know what I mean? like, right yeah exactly <laughs> who who cares what the rebound is like you're yeah. you, you're still able to hit that you know crash that's on the other side of the room it's <laughs> at your next door neighbor's house and you're like hey man <laughs> that's funny nice but yeah, I'll I'll uh I, I definitely want to check them out. I'm always into you know checking out new new uh new sticks and stuff. So um. okay, well I think, I mean Guitar Center has been been great enough to carry them, and I'm very I'm very fortunate to have had the support that I've had. I, I know it's it's selling really well actually, and a lot of people have have responded well to it. So that's that's great. It's so it's really cool to me to see. I wasn't expecting too much, and I was actually afraid that, you know. I don't know. No one would know or care, but it's, it seems like it's it's doing fine. So that's awesome, man! Congratulations. Yeah. And thanks. I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, what's it like to walk into Guitar Center and have your sticks on the shelf? I don't know yet. I haven't been to a Guitar Center since they've been in there. Actually. Oh man, you got to do the classic. 
Did you, ever, did you ever see the Les Paul commercial when the guy, like, there's this young kid playing the guitar, and this old guy walks up, and he plays the guitar, and he, ha- and he hands it back to him, and he's like, hey, mister, you sound pretty good. What's your name? And he's like, it's on your guitar, son. And he walks no, out. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to, oh, like, man. go into Guitar Center and be like, hey, man, and, like, talk to the drum guy, and then, like, what's your name? Be like, it's on those yeah. sticks right behind you, man. Yeah, right, exactly. Man, I'm not I'm not witty enough to pull something like that off, but either am I. I saw it on a commercial. So I was like I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> I totally great. I totally didn't make that up. So yeah, it's a great it's a great commercial though. You know. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's funny. But so um so yeah, so anybody can get it at, at Guitar Center and you know, I'm sure it's online at you know, everywhere. And yeah. I, and I'll definitely for every podcast there's a show notes page and everybody that listens knows that they can just go to, you know, drummersresource.com. You'll be it'll be drummersresource.com forward slash session twenty nine. So all your info will be on there where they can get the get the sticks and everything. Um I have a couple more questions for from some people that, that posted on Facebook that wanted to wanted to ask you a few things. Okay. Um one says, What's the most common mistakes? drummers make even at a pro level and the most important thing to have to be a great drummer okay so I'll that was from to the camelot first one. sorry thank you camelot good questions uh well professional drummers aren't perfect and they make lots of mistakes um i guess a big a big thing i can only speak for myself here but i i i, I find that sometimes i focus too much on my own playing and, and not enough on the band that i'm playing for so the goal of you as a drummer is is to support the music that you're you're playing drums to, and if you remember that, then you, you'll play in the pocket. You'll you'll play well to support the guitar and bass and vocal lines. And there's there's something about being a I don't know a selfless drummer. If there is such a thing, like you're mm-hmm. not trying to take the spotlight the whole time, and and that's applicable in the studio. And what you and what you write for the song, and also how you perform live, um, it's very important. So, how do you play with other musicians? Um, don't make the mistake of forgetting that you're on a stage with other people. And um, the second question was forgetting it now. I think it was poor, kind of the same uh, the same question wrapped up together. And the most important things to have to be a great drummer. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, well. Being a band's drummer, you know, playing for the song, playing, playing to support the musicians around you on stage, uh, I think is is crucial because think about it. If if you're playing for a metal band now, and and you play for the song and you play well for it, and say you succeed and you become a professional and you're touring, and five years later, it, it, well, maybe ten years later, Katy Perry's calling you up and she's she's saying, hey, you know. You, I think you'd be great in my band, and you'd say why? I I don't even play a similar style, and she'd say, well, because, um, because you could, right? Because you know what it's like to play with other musicians, and I want that kind of drummer behind me, not someone that can shred all day, and that's all he does, but someone who supports the music. You ever, you ever heard the joke? The guy's like, hey, you know, can you play, uh, can you play paradiddles at at 220 beats a minute? And he's like, yes, I can. And he's like, okay, can you solo? you know, in two over three. And he's like, yeah, did I get the gig? And he's like, no, that's why we fired the last drummer. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) You know, and it's like, I forget who, oh, Steve Bowman from uh, the Counting Crows told me that. And he, you know, he's like, you gotta, you gotta play in the pocket. You gotta play for the music. And that's what gets you hired. Not like 
all these, you know, all this absurd stuff that you can do at, at 300 beats a minute, you know? So. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, Camelot actually asked as well, you had mentioned uh, writing songs. and how. So how do you approach writing songs? I, I spend a lot of time by myself when I'm writing. That's the most crucial thing. When I think about writing drums for a new record, I think about being in that that little room with my kit and my computer, headphones, you know, a couple bottles of water, and listening to the songs that JB puts together on his computer and just going through each part and writing um, drum parts that accommodate the music well. So there's a lot of nuances in August Spins Red. There are a lot of, you know, nuances in metal, a lot of little patterns that you have to to hear uh, you know 10 times before you can even understand it and th and then once you understand it it's a matter of playing the first beat that comes to your mind and then the second and third and fourth and picking out which one is the best fit for the song and then after that's done you have to be able to remember the part <laughs> so you play it a bunch of times and build it into your muscle memory um it's a process it i've found that it, it takes me hours and hours and hours um to write you know a minute of drums for a song for abr put a lot of time into it and it pays off because then when i get to the studio um i know what i'm playing i know what i'm doing i can play it it's it's not as it's not as frustrating right and i know that the parts are really uh well thought out and uh and they should be because a lot of times you play these songs for 300 400 shows you know and right. you want to you want to make sure that you're playing parts that are playable Mm -hmm. likable and and you know listenable and especially um, like you said in the studio you want it to sound natural you don't want it to sound like you just came up with this this pattern five minutes before yeah, yeah exactly exactly that's really important you know spend time in your practice space you know writing stuff and if that's not natural uh, for you then i can't be super helpful because that's that's just how i work i would Im i'd imagine there are drummers who 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 can only write stuff when they're jamming, you know, live with someone else. But that's that's not my strength. Um, Make you gotta know you gotta know where your strengths and weaknesses are, you know, and yeah. and play towards them. So, right. We got another question from uh, from Jordan. It's a he said, "How has your faith contributed to your drumming? And what advice do you, would you give someone who wants to worship like you do?" Hmm. Um. I, that's a good question. I, I guess I would say that, fi well, fi yeah, my, my faith affects everything I do because it's, it's, I, I view my ability to drum as a gift that, that God gave me, um, for myself and for other people as well. And, and so in other words, the fact that I could play drums and the fact that I'm in August Burns Red and touring is is a gift. I, I I think that I worked hard for it, sure, and that I was born with some natural ability to play. But the but the fact that I'm here um, means that there's a reason behind it all. And so, I guess I I try to view each show, each CD I record, you know, each conversation I have with people as an opportunity to give back to God for what He's given me. And that's where I find the most satisfaction as well. If I'm playing drums for my own satisfaction and success, financial security, 
it's it's fine, you know, and you can have all of those things, but it's it's really satisfying to know that what you have is something you were given and mm-hmm. it might not last forever and you're fully prepared then to take each day as it is and say, well, if tonight's show is terrible and I completely ruin it, <laughs> then I'll be okay. You know, there's always tomorrow because you have the concept that, okay, this is something you were given as a gift anyway. It's, it's not like your life depends on it. Sure. And if it goes away, you'll be fine and you won't feel like you want to throw yourself off a bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's, 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 it's interwoven. My, my faith is interwoven into my drumming just like it's interwoven into my life and in that um, I consider it a gift that I can then use to glorify God through. That's great. I love it. So if, what are, what's something that, that you struggled with or you know, something that, that uh, a failure that you had that you had to kind of break through or, or get over a hurdle to get where you're at? Because there's always struggles. There's always, you know, there's always failures and setbacks. And so what's something that you had to, you had to overcome? In my drumming or out, outside of that? Both. Okay. Yeah. I just thought of something. Um, (laughs) so here I am. So here I am in Chico, California. I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. So I'm on on the other side of the country and it's probably my 15th time doing this or something in the States alone. Um, so you're always talking to people, you're communicating. And, and as a kid, I had a speech impediment, a really bad inhibiting, uh, speech impediment. And I had it up until, I don't know, through, I mean, through the bands, I was definitely 18 or 19 or 20 when I woke up one day and realized it was gone. And it things where you wake up and you think, oh my gosh, I don't stutter anymore, or this doesn't happen to me anymore, you know, whatever it is. And you can't remember, and you can't remember when it last happened. It just stopped happening, um, at some point. And I would definitely say that has been the biggest struggle that was the biggest struggle in my life because I, I, I like communicating with people and on tour, you're always around other people. And it, it's crazy how much fear and anxiety, um, I had in my life just because I didn't, I didn't have the ability to communicate with people. And, um, so here I am today, you know, 10 years later or something. And it's not something I struggle with at all. And, um, I guess, I guess there was a time when I didn't think it would ever go away mm-hmm. and it's something I'd have to deal with my whole life. And I'd pray a lot, God, please take this away from me, please. You know, and I'd wake up the next day and nothing would change. But, um, I guess maybe there's a reason for it. Just, I just couldn't see it at the time. And the reason is that I, I can be pretty humble. I think when I'm talking to someone, because I remember what it was like when I couldn't talk at all, it was terrible. And had I never gone through that, then maybe I would take credit for things that happen, you know, on sure. tour. Um, but I, I can't, I can't do that with my right mind because I remember how humiliating it was when I would talk to my grandma or something and I'd start stuttering. I get called on a word and she would just start laughing at me because it was hysterical, <laughs> you know, cause I, I couldn't get this simple word out and you know, come on, Matt, you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know that it's, it's crazy because 
talking to you, one, I would never, I would have never expected that, you know, you to say that. Um, and you know, you would never, you would never tell that you used to have a speech impediment, which is crazy. Um, (laughs) and the funny thing, you know, like I, I was talking to another drummer and he's like, listen, we're drummers. We're not elocutionists. So like, you know, he's like, we we don't all speak well, but we can play. (laughs) And so it's funny because, you know, I interview some people and and they speak really well and some others don't. And you speak really well, which is, it's, you know, (laughs) as I'm talking, I was like, man, he speaks really well. And then you're like, oh yeah, I had a speech impact, which is just, it just, it's like the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Totally did not see that coming. But, (laughs) you know, like you said, it's, I, I'm I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. So you know mm-hmm. maybe that was that was you know meant to keep you humble, like you said. So where it's like, all right, well, I'm not going to be this guy that's a jerk later and say all these things that I shouldn't be saying, <laughs> you know, because I because I know what it was like to seriously. It was oh, it was terrible, Nick. I, I mean, it was. I'm not. I think it was probably the worst thing I've ever had to endure, and for a long time. For a very long time. And, you know, I hope it's not hereditary because, you know, you know, one day I'll have little Jimmy and he's going to have to have to overcome that as well. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. That's and, and so what did you did you work on it to get rid of it or just kind of naturally? Uh, it naturally went away. I, yeah, like I said, it's I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you wake up one day and you think, oh, my gosh, I don't deal with that anymore. What, like, mm-hmm. and, and then you think, surely there was a day when it just stopped and I'll, and I'll be able to remember it. And you try and you try some more and you can't think about the last time that you stuttered. Right. I mean, yeah, you remember, you know, the last time you struggled with whatever it was. But but there was no defined moment. That's exactly what happened. And I probably just... um. I don't know. I, I don't have a great explanation for it. I, I'm I'm very happy that it's gone. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know, which is, you know, I don't think you really need the explanation for it. But it's just amazing. Be, I a lot of people, and I may be generalizing, but they see somebody like yourself that's you know out doing all these major tours and everything, and they're like, well, he must have been like the coolest man in the world, you know, like growing up, and that's why he's in this band or like. You know, and then I I always end up talking to people, and I love getting to know them on a personal level because it's like, hey man, I'm just a normal guy, and I play drums, and you know, and now I'm in this great band. <laughs> you know, and that's how well a lot put. a lot of the <laughs> what's that? I said, well put. That that <laughs> I mean that sums me up pretty well, actually. <laughs> but that's you know that's a lot of people, and a lot of people put put people on a pedestal, and they say, well, I can't I can't do what he did because you know because of this or because of that. And then, you know, when you're saying that you were, that you were shy and, and you had all this anxiety and you know, with, with the speech impediment, but you're like, I still came out on top, you yeah. know? So it's kind of, I, I like stories like that because it's like, yeah. well, if I can do this then you can do this, you know? Absolutely. That's the message I want to send on this podcast. If I can, then you can too. It's, I am definitely not equipped to, to be doing what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm the last in line, actually, and here I am. And that is, it's, it's surprising that people, well, pe- I mean, people think in their heads, like you said, he must have been something great, and now he's just something greater. No, I was a farm boy in a little town who just wanted to play drums, and 10 years later, I'm still a farm boy who just wants to play drums. It just so happens that I'm on tour 
six months out of the year doing it and it's my career. Right. That's the, that's the straightest way to the explanation for this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's not a lot more to it. And, uh, that's the greatest thing about it. You know, you boil it all down. A lot of these guys that people look up to are great, great people with, with not a whole lot of you know, expertise, um, to be able to do what they do. They, they, they just, they got there and right. you can too. I love it. I, I totally agree. And, and that's, you know, that's a lot of that is the mission behind the drummer's resource. It's, you know, education, information, and motivation for, for drumming and beyond. So we always, you know, the message is that you can do anything you want as long as you work hard enough at it and you're, and you're, uh, you're genuine in your endeavors, then you'll, mm-hmm. you know, you'll come out on top. Yeah. So Matt, I, I think that's a, that's a perfect place to stop. And I really, and I know that you're, you're, uh, you have some band obligations as well. Um, so I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And I know the listeners did as well. I'm glad we finally got to connect. Um, and yeah, I just, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was great. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, man, what we'll, we'll stay in touch and hopefully we can have you back on here. Okay. Sounds Sounds great. Sounds great, Matt. Thanks again. Yep. Thank right. you, man. So there was Matt Griner, and I just thought that was a an awesome interview. It was, it was great to to chat with him, and uh, definitely got a lot of information. And he's just a cool dude. You can you know you can tell by by the way that he talks about everything that he's just you know like he said he's just a normal dude playing drums for a living. So you can too. So which is which is uh, inspiring to say the least. If you want to thank Matt for doing the interview, you can reach him on Twitter at Matt Griner. And you can reach us online at drummersresource.com, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource, or at Twitter, or I'm sorry, on Twitter at drummersrsource. And wherever you're listening to this, snap some pictures. I want to see some pictures of wherever you're at. And just tag us on Instagram at drummersresource. I'd definitely like to check those out. And until next time, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. Share this podcast with your friends. Let them know the community that we have going on over here at Drummer's Resource. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.